Well, good morning and welcome to the fourth Sunday of Advent, where our series brings us to a story of hope. Mike and Marjorie McAloon, members of the church, retired, but uh, retired to full-time ministry here at Sun Creek, it seems. How long have you guys been married? We've been married 52 years. Wow, quite a journey. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of ups and downs life in is 52 life. <laughs> years. Yeah. Well, tell me, along the way of your life journey, has there ever been a time where you felt particularly hopeless and then something happened and you regained hope? Yeah, there was a, t a time when I'd gotten to a very dark place. I, I was angry with everybody and I, and, and I um, saw no worth to myself or anything like that. I mean, it, it just wasn't there. And I was very fortunate to have a minister that brought me a book and said, Mike, you need this. You mm -hmm. need to read this. And it talked about a woman talking about she had finally reached the lowest of the low. She had did horrible things to herself to get drugs and to her kids to get drugs. And she'd hit bottom and she was reaching out to help. And she was talking to a counselor and he says, have you thought about going to a church? And she said, why would I go there? I already think bad enough about myself as it oh. is. Exactly. Yeah. And it, I just started crying. I knew how she felt because I felt that way. And, but I kept reading the book. And it's the first time um, that I understood and accepted grace. Mm. Well, as you know, Mike and I have been married a long time. It's been kind of a rocky road along the way and there was a point in our marriage when we separated and so I was pretty devastated about that. The, the, the world had gone upside down, you know, my world just didn't exist. I mm. didn't know who I was anymore, I didn't know where I was going and I was really devastated and I remember praying and the, in the middle of my prayer my back got toasty warm and the peace came over me like I've never felt. And I still have that peace today because that told me God is in control. And no matter what happens in life, He's there. Hmm. Well, as we go through the Advent season, hearing the stories of how the people of old hoped for redemption, hoped for a Savior, a Messiah to come, as we move to the Christmas season and hear the story of the birth of the Christ child. Uh, how does that story uh, connect with your own experience of hope in your life? Without that story, there wouldn't be hope. Mm. It's the basis of it all. You know, when we, when we separated, the first thing I did was I went back to church because that's where the hope was. I look at the whole Advent season as the giving of hope to the world. And, uh, and you know, all the music that leads up to it, you know, the, the music for Advent, people sing the hymns, the carols, all that stuff is a expression of that hope that came to the world with Jesus. You can poop all the commercialism and all the craziness and everything else, but the underlying hope for the world is there. And then it, you know, you think it's going to culminate with his birth but in some ways it just starts. It builds from there again, you know, so. 
And this season really does remind us of how the hopes and dreams of so many across the ages came to be fulfilled and are still being fulfilled in what God did for us. I I can't imagine being somebody that doesn't have a faith. Hmm. I don't know how you deal with life without that. I mean, where do you get your hope? I wonder that myself. Where do you find hope if you don't embrace the story of God's love for us? Our text for this fourth Sunday of Advent is from Isaiah chapter 35, the first 10 verses that reminds us that the story of God reaching out to us is a story of hope. Would you stand together as we hear these words of Scripture? The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, Be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense, and he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp, and the grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Over the years, I've uh, shared in sermons along the way some of the stories from my own uh, life and my growing up where I've been in situations that uh, the word hopeless was used. Uh, A time when I was a little boy and... uh, My dad took me and my big brother uh, every Saturday morning for months all the way to Little Rock to go to the Y and take swimming lessons. And we started out together in the beginner class. There was beginner, primary, intermediate, and advanced. And at the end of the three months, my brother graduated from advanced and I was still in the beginner. And my dad 
drying me off that day, said, son, sometimes you just got to know when to throw in the towel. You're hopeless on this swimming thing. Just give it up. Um, when I was uh, in junior high, high school, I wanted to be an artist, and I took art lessons. I wanted to be able to paint. And I took the lessons and did all the assignments, but it didn't matter. I don't have any talent. And so finally, I just had to accept that's hopeless. I'm never going to be a great painter. When I was in college, you had to have uh, four semesters of physical education. And so I took golf and tennis and bowling. And then for the fourth one, I wanted to break out and try something really new. And so I decided I would learn how to ice skate. You may notice I'm not really built for ice skating. And uh, I had big plans when I started that class. But at the end of the semester, I believe it was the word hopeless that the instructor gave me. I never fulfilled my dream of landing that triple sow cow out in the middle of the ice. And those are funny and silly things. But I also, just like every one of you, have other more serious moments in my life where I have felt hopeless and struggled with the situation I found myself in. As a pastor through the decades, there have been moments where I knew that hopelessness, where you knew so much what needed to happen or what someone needed to make in their choices, and they don't. Uh, hopeless to help someone you love hopeless in feeling that you'll ever get that group to understand all that God has for them. My personal life, I've had situations and made decisions that I ended up in places that I wondered if I'd ever see the other side of that, if I'd ever recover from the choice that I'd made. All of us, if we have enough birthdays, have those kind of moments in our life. And if we do, we understand what it means to be without hope. We understand what the people Isaiah, who the people Isaiah is writing to, we understand what their life is like. They have been living in hopelessness for a long time. We know what it's like to be afraid, to be lonely, to feel defeated, to feel we've lost our way. My definition of hopelessness is that we become so lost in the moment of despair and disappointment that we're unable to remember our past and we're unable to dream about our future. That's why hopelessness is such a powerful thing and such a devastating thing in a human life. We can't look back and we can't look forward. We're trapped in the moment of our hopelessness. These people Isaiah writes to have been exiled in a foreign land. They know the weight of hopelessness. They're trapped in a culture that is so foreign to them that their ways of 
being and their ways of looking at the world, their ways of thinking no longer make any sense and are useless to them. Without their temple and without their community of faith, they have lost the fulfillment of one of the most basic human needs we all have, that sense that we belong somewhere. We belong to someone. They're separated and torn from their families, and so they've lost that web of relationships which teach us who we are and who throughout our life keep reminding us who we are. And the years have rolled by and the decades have added up. And I suspect their greatest fear is that soon they'll have no memory at all of what life used to be, of what home feels like, of what a future might look like. They are afraid. And in the midst of this hopelessness, comes this word of hope that we heard from Isaiah, this image, this portrait of hope from God. It's powerful, isn't it? The most arid place in the world will bloom with flowers. The long, desolate places, empty places, forsaken places, desolate means, in those places there'll be the sound of joy and laughter. Weak hands will be made strong and feeble knees will be made firm. Fearful souls, Isaiah says, will find courage and make commitments. It is a beautiful image of a future that they can put their hope but we can ask the question, so what? That's fine for them, so what? What do those words have to say to my life, to your life, to our life together? Do those ancient words have anything to say to this modern world? I think we would be deceiving ourselves if we pretended for a moment that we still cannot know what hopelessness feels like. I think we'd be deceiving ourselves if we didn't know what it feels like to be exiled, to be away from things we know and love and understand, to be lost and adrift in a world that no longer makes sense to us. Any of that ringing a bell for anybody? We have the same dilemma that the people of old had. We can all come to a place of hopelessness in our life. But in this world, to our world, God still speaks through these ancient words. And it is still a word of hope that the world is literally dying. It's a great hope to know that there is no wilderness our life can lead us into that God can't make bloom with new life. We can hang our hope 
on the idea that there is no part of our life journey that is so rocky and insurpassable that God can't make a highway through it. On the other side of which is joy again and hope again. These words, even more than the vivid imagery, were a reminder to the people that their hope comes from the fact that they are not forgotten. God still sees them, and God is still with them. Their hope comes from the fact that they are not alone in the most hopeless situation they have ever faced in their life. Hope. Archbishop Desmond Tutu says this, Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Being able to see that there's light despite all the darkness. That's hope. Anne Lamott, one of my favorite contemporary writers, when she is beginning to write an essay on hope. This is the opening phrase. It's not even the opening sentence, but it has always stuck in my mind. The opening phrase is, hope begins in the dark. Hope always begins in the dark. The Advent season is a time where we hear the story once again that God comes to us in the most hopeless of life's situations. As John, the writer of the Gospel of John, put it, the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. That is the story that we tell in this time, year after year after year. You see, we need hope so we can be unstuck from this place where we don't remember our past and we can't dream of a future. The people Isaiah is writing to, they knew the story of their own people. They knew that God time and time again had come to them and forgiven them. They know the story that time and time again God has come and redeemed them. They know that time and time again God came to them and yet their hopelessness kept them from remembering that. That's what happens when we're hopeless. God comes to us. That is the source of our hope. And this week we celebrate the wonderful, powerful story of how God comes to us in a world that is still dark with hopelessness and despair and challenges and poverty and racism and all the things that burden us down and blind us to the things that God has for us. God comes to us in the life of a little helpless baby born outside the palaces and the places of power. God comes to us in the life into which that baby would grow to live. And we find hope in knowing God understands our world because God is in this world with us. 
we find hope in knowing God understands the struggle of our life because in Jesus, God lived our life. We find hope in knowing we are not forgotten. We find hope in knowing we are not alone. The story we celebrate this season is the story of hope. Hope for us and hope for all the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.